0: Hello, and welcome to the LA Parent Podcast. I'm your host, Jorge Martin, and I'm a proud father of three daughters. We're all born and raised in Los Angeles, just like LA Parent. Our magazine has been a part of this community for more than 40 years, and we're truly honored that you have allowed us to be your companion on this wild ride. Parenting is not easy, but it is pretty incredible. In LA, we love this city. It's diversity, it's culture, it's people. This podcast is about all of us, moms and dads trying to figure it out day by day. We have invited parents experts community leaders and celebrities to be interviewed in this space we want you to find common ground with fellow parents and to learn from those who have made it their calling to support those of us raising kids in this city we hope you enjoy the la parent podcast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts thanks again for letting us ride along with you on this incredible journey this is part one of our interview with the new york times best-selling author peggy orenstein peggy's written such important books like girls and sex cinderella ate my daughter Waiting for Daisy, Don't Call Me Princess, Flux, and Schoolgirls. Today, we're talking about her latest work titled Boys and Sex, Young Men on Hookups, Love, Porn, Consent, and Navigating the New Masculinity. Peggy, thanks for joining us on the LA Parent Podcast.
1: My pleasure. Nice to see you. Oh, nice.
0: Nice to see you too. So, uh, you know, let's just kind of start. What was the inspiration for this book?
1: Oh, well, you know, um, honestly I never imagined that I would write about boys. I thought that was somebody else's uh, (laughs) job, frankly. Um, But when I went around the country after publishing Girls and Sex, every place that I went, um, parents, teachers, girls, boys themselves would say, what about the boys? When are you gonna write about the boys? And at first I sort of resisted because, you know, I well, you know, girls have to change so much, first of all. And so I knew there was a lot there. I'd been writing about girls for 25 years. With boys, I didn't feel like they had changed as much. And also I wasn't sure that boys would talk. So I was worried I'd have entire transcripts that basically consisted of, nope, Uh uh-huh, you know? Um, (laughs) And so I was worried, but I also realized the more I thought about it, that, that nobody was talking to boys and nobody was really listening to boys on these issues. So, I started doing um, a few preliminary interviews to see just how it would go. And right as I started was when the Me Too allegations began. And so, suddenly, everybody was talking about sexual misconduct, you know, in all sectors of society among men, young and old. And um, I thought that in addition to creating this opportunity where we were talking about sexual violence and sexual harm, um, we had a new and unique opportunity to talk to young men about what they were thinking and feeling and experiencing and what um more um positive and healthy sexual behavior might be so i, I began talking to boys um 15 about now they were about 16 to 22. I talked to over 100 boys who were um uh all uh, f- like the girls they were in high school either college bound high schoolers or in college but they were from all over the country different ethnicities different gender identities different sexual orientations um and I think the thing that was really most striking to me, in many ways, was was how much they really wanted to talk, and how, what insightful narrators they were about their experience. Um, and I, I, and and I think that their eagerness was in part because nobody ever really does ask them, and it really gave them an opportunity that they don't ordinarily have to really think and reflect on um their ideas about masculinity, their ideas about sexuality, and um their um kind of concerns and questions about their own behavior.
0: That's incredible. So I mean you meant yeah you just mentioned you know you were pleasantly surprised by by how open and honest these young men were. Um, did did you almost feel like you had to uh change gears or you know, approach the, the book uh, with more eyes wide open Uh, this, this book project with more eyes wide open to what these young and ears that to what these young men were going to be saying about what they wanted.
1: It's a really interesting question. I mean, I think there were, I mean, with both books, probably boys and sex and girls and sex, there were places where my own biases were, were challenged, but sometimes with the boys and sex book, I felt like um, I had to hear things more before they made sense to me. Um, especially around, I mean, I think one of the things that, one of the things I was concerned about was going in was, you know, I'm, I'm a woman and I look like their mom, you know, I'm about the same age as most of their mothers. Um, and what would that be like? But I realized that, you know, when guys do confide, when they do drop the wall, they tend to do it with a woman more readily. And so, and 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 you know, I mean, if you read the book, you see they're, they're pretty blunt also about sexual stuff. It's not like they're hiding anything, I don't think, but I felt after a while that for anything that maybe they didn't tell me, there was something that they were telling me um, because I was a woman. And so that was really interesting and especially around emotional suppression and things like, I mean, this is, you know, sort of a, I don't know, things like when, when they would talk about crying, you know, to me, um, they, you know, they would say something like, and, you know, and, and I cried about it. And I'd go, okay, <laughs> you know, like, I, I would cry about that too. Um, and, and it was hard for me to recognize, it took me a while to recognize like, what a huge thing it was for them to be telling me that they cry, like they were really being vulnerable in that moment. And to me, it was just kind of a normal thing, because I'm a woman and like, yeah, okay, I would cry about that, you know. Um, so there were sort of things like that, or, or um, on a kind of more maybe, um, I don't know, sent, they're talking about both um, committing sexual misconduct that, you know, mm-hmm. those conversations um, and how reliable they were as narrators in those conversations was tricky. Um, and then also the other really unexpected piece was their own accounts of um, feeling sexually harmed and, and unwanted sex. That was another place that I had to hear many times before um, I started going, oh, that, oh. And and one of my boys, I had interns, I had boys who were interns for me, um, high school and college boys. And one of them said, you need to talk to my friend who had this experience. You're missing this piece. Um, and so that helped me with that one
0: how about the uh, how open they were about their own anxieties and kind of their you know feelings of inadequacy and and, and I mean, to me that that uh, you know as a male you know you mentioned the not not wanting to admit to crying but you know at that I'm trying to picture myself at that age and thinking yeah I'm not going to talk about these things right? how, how incredible was was it to, that they were so open and honest about that
1: yeah i mean they you know I, I, in many ways, when I talk about the book Side by Side, I always say that the girls and sex was about um, the systematic disconnection of girls from their bodies. And boys and sex is really about the systematic disconnection of boys from their hearts and the ways that young men learn to um, shut down emotionally and you know, put themselves behind a wall, put a wall, they would talk about that. A lot of boys use that metaphor. They'd say, I learned to put a wall up between the world and my true feelings. And they would sort of say that that happened, they believed in middle school, but there's actually compelling research that shows it happens in kindergarten. Um, And so being able to drop that wall for a few minutes with somebody was pretty profound and pretty profound to witness. And, um, you know, I just started feeling as I talked to boys that So much, you know, a lot of, I I opened the first chapters about masculinity and about um, boys ideas about masculinity and the ways that, yeah, there's been progress. Of course, there's been progress. We can all see there's been progress in terms of the way that they treat women and girls in the public realm and their beliefs that girls are equal in the classroom and, you know, straight guys have gay friends and, you know, that there's there's progress. But when I would ask them to um, talk about uh, the ideal guy, they would immediately start saying, you know, um, aggression, athleticism, um, sexual conquest,, um, and emotional suppression. And that piece was so strong, and they, William Pollock was a psychologist calls it the Boy Code, which positions anything um, as um, you know uh, is, is kind of adversarial towards anything that they perceive as feminine um, or or in themselves or in other boys. And it's this constant policing. Of of what that means, and that involves emotions. And they would tell me that the only emotions they felt truly able to express were happiness and anger, and they weren't wrong. You know, the the there's research that shows that um, there's a famous um, study of adults. They show adults a video of uh, infants being startled by a jack in the box, and if they're told beforehand that the um, infant in the video is male, the adults are much more likely to say that the emotion being expressed is um, anger as opposed to fear or surprise or you know whatever else you might feel if you were startled. And similarly with um, mothers of infants talk with a much broader emotional range to their baby daughters than their baby sons. And with boys, again, the emotion they focus on most is anger. And so boys learn that that whole bucket Of emotions that involves, you know, sadness, frustration, betrayal, um, grief, whatever it is, it all gets funneled into anger. And at the very, and and we talked a lot about that in very many ways, but I began feeling that, you know, so much of it was about the, the, what I was talking to about with boys was was they were wrestling in front of me with ideas about vulnerability and with, embracing it or rejecting it or capitulating to it or denying, but all of it was about this relationship to, to what it meant to be an emotionally vulnerable human, which, you know, is central to our humanity, but also when we disconnect boys from that vulnerability, we deny them the opportunity to have the kinds of relationships that we want them to be able to have, um, in, in their romantic lives. And that hurts them. And, and it hurts their romantic partners as well
0: at what age should parents begin talking to their boys about sex and kind of what are some of the ways to kind of broach that topic so that it's really clear and it's age appropriate?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, The thing is, is that we tend to talk about sex like it's in a silo, like it's its own little weird, you know, thing separate from every other aspect of your humanity or or our citizenship. Um, And that's really not true. So when we're talking, you know, there's so many things that feed into those lessons, whether it's that you're naming body parts, you know, from a young age, whether it's that you're um, naming, you know, in, in the, what I was just saying, one of the things that's really important in terms of this emotional suppression piece is to, be talking with boys, um, to be with little boys, to name their emotions, is is a huge. You know, you wouldn't think that that's like that's about talking about sex, right? But it is because it's going to influence their relationships and their ability to navigate them emotionally and treat their partners with humanity. Um, so if you're saying, you know, wow, it, it seems like you're really sad, or Oh, that seems really frustrating. Or, you know, I could give them the vocabulary over and over and over that broadens their emotional, their ideas about what emotions can be, is super important for little boys. Lessons in consent are really easy when kids are little, you know, right? You're on the playground. Um, you don't hug somebody without permission. They don't have you without their permission. Uh, if aunt Nancy wants to plant a big wet kiss on your four-year-old and your four-year-old doesn't want aunt Nancy to plant a big wet kiss on him, you know, suck it up great aunt Nancy, you know, you got it. That's a lesson in autonomy and agency. Um, so all of that. And then the other thing I think with boys too, you know, aside from obvious, you know, mechanics and all that kind of stuff is um, how do we assure that they continue to see? And this is, you know, the book is not exclusively about straight boys or cis boys, but obviously they, they are a big issue. How do we assure that they continue to see girls as human? Because so much of what happens in the sexual culture and the media culture is that encourages um boys to see girls in the private realm as being less human than them. And it encourages girls to see themselves as less human than guys and not having the same rights or needs in, in human relationships. So, I, you know, media critique, we've done a much better job of um, developing media literacy among girls because we recognize how harmful, I mean, you, you know, right? The, the media messages are clearly harmful to girls. Everybody knows that. Um, but boys are growing up in the same stew, and we're not giving them the critique that they need to make sure that they can navigate those messages and come out seeing um, their partners as uh, as human and seeing sex itself as a humanizing experience and a connected experience. So that's where you start.
0: Wow! Yeah. Not <laughs> yeah, that that's
1: um, a little thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, you know, we 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 always talk about like the talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you think about table manners, right? Like if you sat your child down and said, okay, here's your knife, here's your fork, put your napkin in your lap, don't chew with your mouth open, say please and thank you, and may I please be excused. Okay, we've talked about manners. I know you're going to be polite now. I mean, that would be ridiculous. Um, you know, you have to tell a kid, you know, 700,562 times to say thank you before they say it on their own, right? And and sex is just as important, I would think, as our table manners. So it's a lot of little conversations throughout their lives that are about sex, but not just about sex. And, you know, about consent, but not just about consent, about addressing, you know, media and pornography, about all these different things, um, that the more we can sort of put those through, through you know, from the get-go, the easier it is, because I know none of us got nobody talked to us. We don't know how to have those conversations, right? We don't know, and so it's a big leap and it's hard. But the fact that it's hard and awkward and embarrassing is not an excuse not to parent.
0: You, you talked in in the book. You, you just mentioned it right now. You know, kind of uh, things they see, uh, yeah. that, and in media and pornography. You know, we're in the age where everything is available on your phone and you know, it, these kids can see about everything, kind of at, at what, in what way can you maybe expound or kind of you know, draw limits for, for parents as to what is appropriate that kids can see on their phones?
1: You know, that is so hard and you know, I'm a parent myself, so I, I'm, I'm struggling with all of this too um, and have struggled with all of it. And I think that that's the really big change that makes it so that we don't have that luxury of silence that maybe our parents felt that they had if you don't talk to your kid the media culture is so huge the media is going to educate your child for you and i don't think you're going to like the result you know and so we we have to have these conversations and you know drawing limits on the phone it's so hard because even if you could put up every parental you know whatever those are blocker thing that's out there, they walk on into the world and some kid, you know, two years older turns their phone around and goes, Hey, look, you know, I mean, you, that's not going to do it. You can't block your way um, out of the problem of media and technology. And although we talk a lot about explicit media and I can, I can talk about that about pornography. The fact is that the mainstream media has grown exponentially more explicit and aggressive over the years. And it's not that different. And the, the kinds of, um, you know, that idea of, of male um, aggression or dominance and female submission and availability, sexual availability is reiterated over and over and over in mainstream media. You know, I remember talking to a boy who was a senior who was, saying, who was talking about the music he listened to. And he said, you know, you're driving around in the car all day with your friends and you hear, fuck that bitch and leave her, you know, 10 times in two hours, it gets in your head. Um, and it's hard not to get that, have that mindset to a degree. And so, you know, we can talk about um, pornography and that's a really important conversation to have, but the messages that they're getting on Netflix, on TikTok, on YouTube, on Instagram, on whatever they're on, um, are are very similar in dynamic, if not, you know, if, if marginally less explicit.
0: And that's one of those things. Uh, You mentioned a little bit about it. Some of the conversations in the book, you mentioned about the conversations that you had with parents who were asking like, you know, is is there some type of, one thing that struck me is uh, is there some type of tutorial or some, some type of tutorial video that is appropriate. I mean, we all I'm, I'm father of three daughters. So I know that there are things available to them that there were that I didn't have, you know, 40 years ago when I was their age. So when it, Comes to these kind of these kind of things, how should parents approach talking to their kids when we know that the, that these explicit images and themes are available when and and that are really unrealistic? I think you you even mentioned it mentioned it like that you know almost unattainable.
1: Well, okay, so one cheat sheet I can give you is that on my website, which is my name peggyorixen um, I have a um, resources button. And on that page, there are about a million. Well, maybe not. A There's a lot of of um, of resources for any particular topic, and and kind of broken down by age. So you know, obviously, having a conversation with a five-year-old is not the same as having a conversation with a fifteen-year-old. And um, you may have a different set of conversations with your child if they're transgender, or if they're gay, or if they're girls, or if they're boys, or you know, however it those. so I sort of wanted to give people I couldn't give you an exact script but I could give you some resources from which you could um, put your script together um, but I think that one um, one guiding principle for me I, I learned a lot from um, looking at the experience of other countries and particularly the Dutch um, which I, I sort of I had um, a recent piece in the New York Times that I wrote and I, I Pointed the Dutch and I say, I know you're all sick of hearing that about the, everybody's sick of hearing about the Dutch, but they do it right. Um, but there was this, um, uh, particularly there's a study that compared 400 uh, Dutch college, it was girls, um, Dutch college girls to American girls, and they were demographically similar. And they found just across the board, um, the outcomes were head and shoulders above ours in terms of um, their early sexual experiences, in terms of, you know, um, uh, preparation, in terms of enjoying themselves, in terms of knowing their partners well, in terms of reduction of um, disease and pregnancy, in terms of lower rates of abortion, in terms of, um, you know, being able to talk to their partners, uh, not having regret, I mean, whatever it was, they were just way better. And when they talked to the girls more in depth, they said that the girls said that their doctors, teachers, and parents talk to them early and often um, about sex, um, pleasure, and the importance of mutual trust. And when I looked at that research, it really and hit me between the eyes because they said you know, that Americans weren't less, um, it wasn't more that, that, that it was less awkward for the Dutch, but that Americans put all, we tend to frame all those conversations in terms of risk and danger. And the Dutch frame them in terms of responsibility and joy. And as a parent myself, that was a paradigm. I mean, I just kind of went, oh yeah. I would have talked about birth control, contraception. I mean, um, birth control, disease protection and consent and thought I did a great job. But that is a really risk danger perspective. And so I think the paradigm shift that we need to um, think about as parents is how do we talk about these issues in terms of responsibility and joy versus just risk and danger? Um, And so to at least have that in your head as a guiding principle, I think is really useful.
0: So when it comes to to, talking to boys about their bodies and about sex, there's always been that thought that uh, it should be the dad's job. I think a lot of, for a long, long time, but really should moms and dads approach it the same way to kind of try to decrease the, the gender stereotypes.
1: Well, yes. And I mean, you're what you're saying kind of, but actually a lot of boys say it's really their moms that talks to them with any depth and that their dads, I mean, the girls, if I, you know, I always said, what did you learn from your parents? What'd you learn from your mom? What'd you learn from your dad? And they would just laugh when I said, "What did you learn from your dad?" I mean, they would just—it was like I just, you know, cracked the funniest. Like, my dad, we don't talk. I mean, maybe one girl said, "Yeah, I have really interesting talks with my dad about." that, <laughs> Nobody said that. Um, the boys um, were more—if they—they they too talked more to their mothers, really. And the fathers would say, basically, "Don't get a girl pregnant. Don't get a disease." And now, can, you know, more recently, respect women. And one of the boys said to me, you know, but what does that mean? Like, that's like telling your son, don't run over any little old ladies and giving them the car keys. You know, I, yeah, you don't think you're gonna run over a little old lady, but you still don't know how to drive. Um, So I, you know, I thought that was a really great way to put it. Um, But with dads, I will say that the boys often really expressed a desire to hear more from their dads. And they wanted to hear about not only, um, you know, sort of nuts and bolts issues. They wanted to hear about the emotional aspects of sex. And they wanted to hear about their father's own experience, including their father's past regrets. Um, So they wanted to have kind of more intense conversations with dads. And I think, you know, for a lot of fathers, again, weren't talked to that way by their own dads, maybe haven't talked that way to other men, you know? Um, And so it's a heavy lift and it can feel really scary and threatening and hard to know where to begin. Um, And I would say a couple of things to make it a little easier, you know, one is just logistical. It's always better with a pet, particularly with boys um, to talk like in motion, you know, playing catch um, on a walk, you know, when you're doing yard work um, so that there's like another place to look and another thing to do or um, in the car when you're driving, because you're um, not making eye contact and, uh, you're tra- he's trapped um, but also I always think you know just like you gotta know you don't have to be perfect you know you don't have to have all your ducks in a row to have these conversations you don't have to have the perfect relationship yourself you don't have to have you know all the answers you don't have to know all the questions you just have to start where you can start and just wherever you can start however you can open that door even the tiniest bit is a step towards you know, a a fuller conversation and to think about it as an opportunity to enrich your relationship with, you know, and maybe it's not the father, maybe it's a stepfather or an older brother or an uncle, whoever it is, but with the boy in your life um, and to model having difficult conversations because how are they going to know how to do that if you don't show them?
0: Are there any any recommendations you have to parents to kind of get over those hangups? I mean, I get what you're saying that you know it's going to enrich your relationship and 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 that's and that's that's great. But I, I guess are there any recommendations?
1: I mean, I think the more you do it, you know, things like um, and you can say. I mean, it's it's a lot easier to start having conversations. And again, I'm I you know okay to keep deflecting, but because I have such a range of things for depending on the age of your child on the website um, I'd send people there but you know if you can start having the books in the house and having the conversations when your child is really young it's gonna be easier um, it's harder to step in at 15 16 17 you can do it um, a lot of people do but it it is it is more difficult um, so if you're sitting you know if you've got and and internally um, gosh, you know I just my own experience, this is not, it's not like this was natural for me either. And I would say my own experience has been that um, it was really hard. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. And also, it's a good idea, especially if you've got a younger kid, you can be a few steps ahead. So I remember, um, you know, when we had these books in the, ho- in the home when my daughter was um, in preschool that were by Roby Harris. Um, it's not the stork and it's so amazing. They, they were wonderful books um, for that age range. And when she was maybe, I don't know, five or six, um, we were eating dinner and suddenly, um, you know, the fork kind of stopped in front of her mouth. She kind of looked far away and she said, mommy, I understand that you need a cell from the man and a cell from the woman to make a baby, but how does the, the sperm get from the penis into the vagina? <laughs> And, you know, my husband kind of looked at me and, um, and I said, yeah, that's such a good question, honey. Let's go look at your book after dinner and we'll figure that out together, you know? And, and so to you know, having already had that conversation in my own head, a couple steps ahead of her, I was ready. Whereas if I hadn't been ready, I think I just would have like, my head would have exploded and I wouldn't have known what to do or say. And I just would have gone, blah, ba bah. Um, so I think part of it is is and that's I mean that's easy stuff that's anatomy that's mechanics that's not even about um, sort of the more nuanced things that you need to talk about with teenagers but to make sure that you're educated um, and you're aware and you've kind of gotten your own um, you've kind of wrestled with some of these issues yourself uh, will make it easier when when your child brings them up or when you have to bring them when you are, when it's time for you to bring them up. Also the media is, you know, the media is a gift that keeps giving. There's always something going on that um, allows you to have these conversations or or ask, I'm gonna go one more beat with this, is this okay? Is this okay? Yes, I, I yes. also, it's really great if you, whenever you can um, enlist your child as an expert in their own experience. So if you can say, uh, hey, I was listening to the LA Parent Podcast today and we they were talking about this, um, you know whatever it is you want to bring up um and i wonder what you're seeing in your world you know i wonder what you're seeing in your world about hookup culture what you're, what's going on with your friends and in your community or um sometimes um <laughs> this is this is a trick don't tell um, sometimes you can say um you know a friend of mine um is having an issue with their their teenager or their child around um how to talk about hookup culture and some of the more damaging aspects of it or something like that and say, what advice would you give? what, what, how can my, how, how, what should I tell my friend about how they can talk to their child in a way that their child will be able to hear it and see what your child says about that.
0: That's it for part one of our interview with Peggy Orenstein and thanks to you for listening. Please make sure to subscribe to the LA Parent Podcast on whatever platforms you get your podcasts. We have some amazing guests coming up. And check out our website, laparent.com, for fun and educational events, both virtual and in-person, safe travel tips, parenting and educational resources, and so much more. We update with new articles every day. And make sure to follow us on Facebook by liking our LA Parent page. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at LA Parent You can find me at JorgeMartin17 on Twitter. Again, thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Remember to enjoy your family and take some time for yourself. We need that as parents. We'll talk with you next time.